Hey, this is Mitch Rose. I'm the lead pastor of City Hills Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope this message encourages you, it inspires you, it challenges you to live your best life. Take a listen. Here's this week's message. So a uh, little bit about myself. Um, I have grown up in the same church my whole life, so uh, 40 of my 41 uh, years on planet Earth find me in one church under one pastor and one vision, and that just has turned me in uh, to someone who loves the local church. I believe that the local church is the greatest thing happening on planet Earth, and there is no community. There is no more sacrificial or selfless community, loving community on the face of the planet than the local church. So I'm so glad you're here. There's something that happens when we gather and uh, faith is built, and uh, truth is brought, and so I believe that's going to happen today. I love, love God's house. Welcome, everyone, to joining, everyone joining us online today. Can we give it up today for anyone who is joining us, streaming uh, this service? We're glad you're here, and we hope that your journey finds your way to uh, the house in person. Uh, I am uh, married, been married for 17 years. Uh, we have a 10-year-old daughter if you need someone to, like, continue your fast, I know, like, we're just breaking a fast here today. Anyone ready for lunch after church, by the way? It's going to be a great revival today after lunch. Papa Cita's is about to get in. Or, that's, we're too far away from that, I guess. That's my favorite Texas restaurant. So, But um, I have a 10-year-old, so if you need someone to, to pray and fast for continuing, we are now in pre-teen land. God help us. Uh, so we have a 10-year-old, and then uh, right about a year ago, God gave us a baby girl. Her name is Glow. She was our COVID surprise. Um, when the shutdowns happen, I guess people get pregnant is what I learned. Uh, so uh, we, I, I was coming home from, I think it was like my first ministry trip back out on the road, fall of 2020, you know, after shutdowns and all that, to a wrapped box on the dining room, my wife's saying, hey, open it. And on the inside was a positive uh, pregnancy test. And so uh, she had a difficult, uh, a difficult pregnancy, my wife did. And I was actually supposed to be with you all uh, early April, right after Easter last year. But I had to call your pastor a few days before and cancel uh, because uh, be, apparently my family does nothing that's not dramatic uh, and our daughter decided to arrive 11 weeks early at 29 weeks gestation. I think we have a picture of her we can throw up on the, on the screens this morning. That is our daughter, Glow, last April. She was born at three pounds, uh, which I've come to learn was a big baby for her size, a big NICU baby, but she is tiny and uh, was honestly born with a list of complications um, that we saw later, had a brain bleed, had an infection, had a collapsed lung, had lung disease. I could, I could go on and on and on. Uh, but 51 days in the NICU, God did a, ma a miracle work in her life. Uh, 51 days later, next picture, we got to bring her home uh, from the NICU. We should be bringing her home here in just a minute. The next picture is us bringing her home. It's okay if we don't have it. Um, we brought her home 51 days later. Today, if you saw her, she is healthy. She is thriving. She is fat. Uh, she is rolling around. You wouldn't know the difference. And we're thanking God for a miracle in, in her body. Uh, the God healed her and restored her. And um, 
So we are now a family of four, or what I am also told is a family of five, because we got a COVID dog also. Did anyone else get a COVID dog? Any, anyone? Do, why did we do that? Like, what a, what a terrible life choice that was. But uh, anyways, my family of five um, sends greetings. Okay, let's go today in our Bibles. We're going to get into the Word Finishing out our series, The Best is Yet to Come. Have you enjoyed the series, by the way? Just bringing hope uh, at the beginning of the year. And I want to uh, bring a kind of a final installment to the series today. And uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Ooh. All the Christians in the house go, ooh, the book of Revelation. We're going to go there for a minute. And uh, I believe God's given me a word. Um, Maybe just for someone in the house today, but I believe a word um, that we need in season. You know, some some people that come and minister uh, and speak their their ministry is like the entree. You know, at dinner, it's it's chicken, it's steak, it it's filling, it tastes really good. Uh, some people that come and minister, they have the anointing of the dessert. You know, it's a sugar high, it's a lot of fun, it tastes really good going uh, down. I always feel like I have the anointing of vegetables on my life. In other words, I did not came to in, come to impress you today. I came to help you, and I came to give you what you need today. Uh, but if you'll apply this, I believe this is going to help you grow and mature into all that God has for you. Is that all right today? Anybody want some greens to end your fast? All right, that doesn't sound good. Um, but we're going to go to Revelation chapter 1. And start in verse 3. If it's okay with you, I want to go deep into the Word today. Are you ready for some Word? Um, I, I want to, we're going to go to a little Bible school here for a minute. Like three quarters of my message is the intro, just so you know. Uh, we're going to set some things up. We're going to read a lot of Scripture today. If you're a little behind on your Bible reading already for the year, we're going to get you caught right back up. You're going you're gonna to be good after this service today. Um, but let's get going, and I think you're going to see where we're going to go. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. The Apostle John writes this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near, or you could say the time is urgent. Then he goes on to say, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. What a resume right there, by the way, of Jesus. And a look at Jesus. The Apostle John starts with, blessed is the one who reads this prophecy, and blessed is the one who hears it. So I figure we're in good company this morning, first of all. I'm blessed for saying this. You're blessed for hearing it. So we're off to a good start today. Let me kind of set up the book of Revelation and where we're going to go. Because if you've grown up in church, this is like the scary book at the end of the Bible, right? This is the book that has some very strange imagery in it. This is the book with the bulls and the beasts and the creatures. And, and what does all this mean? Let me help frame this in because there is beautiful, 
beautiful truth that we need if we're going to be faithful to serving Jesus in the hour in which we live. The book of Revelation is written in the book in the year 96 AD by the Apostle John. John is in prison. He is on the prison island of Patmos. He has been arrested by the Roman government and has been thrown away kind of on this, you know, out of the way island, this prison island called Patmos. Christianity in this day is a small, frail movement just kind of trying to get their footing in the world. Um, churches have sprung up all over the known world, but, but times are tough. The early church has tremendous headwinds coming against it. They're, they're, they're trying to start and, and survive as churches with the Roman emperors hunting them, um, people taking their lives. And, and in this moment, 96 AD, uh, we have yet another church leader is now imprisoned or has lost their life. The Roman government, I think, you know, tried to kind of stick John on an island and get him out of sight, out of mind, you know, rather than martyr him because nothing breathes life into a young, frail movement like a martyr, right? So they kind of stick him out of, you know, out of sight, out of mind on this island, which proved to be a really bad move by the Romans, by the way, because it's out of this prison stay that Jesus meets John and gives him the beautiful book that we call Revelation. The Apostle John is writing to the early church because he wants to give them hope. He wants to give them hope. Times are tough for the church. Uh, the early church leaders have been, many of them have been killed or martyred for their faith. They're kind of without some of their early anchors headwinds from the government coming against him. And the apostle John is writing to give them hope. He's saying here throughout this book, he's like, hey guys, I know times are tough. And I know being a Christian isn't easy. And I know that you're experiencing uh, difficulty and hardship right now because you are a Christian. But he paints throughout this book, this book, this picture of Jesus saying, hey guys, I know times are tough, but Jesus is still good. Jesus reigns as king today. And regardless of what you're facing, none of that you know, nullifies the goodness of God, the rulership of Jesus in our lives. In other words, he's saying, you picked the right side. Times might be tough, but Jesus is still on the throne. You know, the, the Bible is beautiful because when you face tough stuff in your life, uh, you can run to Scripture and know that the, the writers of this book, the heroes of this book, they faced incredible odds, yet found the anchor of their hope yet again in Jesus. And so when times are tough, you can run and you can find a well of hope in the Word for yourself. And so John is writing to this, to this you know, movement that is, is revolutionizing society, but is still young, still small. And so where I want to park us today is in Revelation chapter 2. Why don't you turn the page now to Revelation chapter 2. And right at the beginning of this book, John delivers seven letters from Jesus to seven churches. Seven letters to seven churches. In other words, Jesus has a few things to say about his church. (laughs) 
he has, he has a few things to say about the condition of his church and the faithfulness of his church. I, I love the, the imagery that's used here is, is the imagery of the lampstands. Lampstands being a metaphor for churches. And we see here that Jesus is the one walking among the lampstands. In other words, he's not some distant God like the Greeks believed that was, you know, distant and removed and, and unaware of, of life here on earth. No, we see that Jesus is in his church and he's with his church. And I guess I came to tell you first and foremost this morning, City Hills, that when you face the toughest parts of life, when difficulty comes your way in life, you ought to know that Jesus is right there with you in it, that Jesus knows and Jesus understands. He is not a distant God. He is not a removed God. He is here. He is present, and he is with you. Amen? And so where we're going to park today is we're going to look at Jesus' second letter that is written here to the church in Smyrna, and if you're looking for a title of this week's, you know, message in our series, The Best is Yet to Come, I would love to title this message, Hope Under Pressure. Hope Under Pressure. Revelation 2 and verse 8, to the angel, or would be, you could say the pastor, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Let's pause there for a minute. Let's talk about Smyrna. Let's talk about this city. What's, what is this city? Uh, we haven't really heard of this city. What's going on in this city? Smyrna was a big, beautiful city called the Crown of Asia, or the Flower of Asia, Smyrna sort of competed with Ephesus as trying to kind of be like the best in the area, the, 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 the best in Asia, you could say. It was the birthplace of many writers. It was actually home to the Bishop Polycarp, who was one of Christianity's most faithful martyrs. Uh, Smyrna still exists today in Turkey under a different name. Uh, but Smyrna is, is, is this thriving city that is proud of its history. They, they, they would stamp things on their coins, on their money, that would say things like, first city in Asia in size and beauty. They, they were proud that they were a city that had at one time kind of been dead, but is now alive again. They were proud of their city's resurrection story. And so this city sort of had this identity of pride and of stature. And I love how Jesus introduces himself to this church. It's really interesting. He does this seven different times across these letters. Jesus introduces himself very, very specifically to the church in this city. Look, look in verse 8, what he said. He said, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. You know what Jesus is saying here is, I know that your city is proud that it resurrected itself. I know that your city once was dead and once was life, alive again, but Jesus is kind of a mic drop moment. He goes, but I'm the one who was dead and came to life again. He's like, I know you're proud of your city, but I'm the one who reigns today as king. Jesus is saying here, I'm the first 
and the last. In other words, I'm the one who brackets your life. I'm the one that has the first word over your life, and I'm the one who has the final word over your life. In other words, the Roman government doesn't have the final word over your life. Let's apply it today. Whoever's president in the United States does not have the final word over your life. The government does not have the final word. Your situation, your circumstances do not have the final word over your life. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I am the first and the last. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. I'm the one that holds it all together. You know what Jesus is saying to them? He's basically saying, I know. I know what you're facing. I know exactly where you're at. I know exactly what's going on in your city. I know exactly what you're facing in your life. I know. I know. I guess I came to remind us today that in the toughest moments that we face, Jesus knows. He cares. He's involved. He is with us. One of the words that we're given of Christ is Emmanuel. What does it mean? God with us. He is not removed. He is not uninvolved. Jesus is saying, even to us today, he's saying, I know. I know what you're facing. Now let's read verse 9. The letter goes on, and Jesus says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who are Jews, who say they are Jews but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. I don't. I think that's like Bible cussing. I don't know. Um, you know. I don't know. I've never called somebody a synagogue of Satan before. Maybe I've thought it a little bit. But um, the Greek word for afflictions here is the word. I believe it's pronounced philipsis, and it's the word that means crushing pressure. Jesus is telling this church, I know that you're under crushing pressure. And what's interesting about the pressure they were facing is they were not facing pressure because um, they had done something wrong. They were not facing pressure because they had been disobedient. They were not facing pressure because they weren't being faithful to the word. This letter is one of the only ones that Jesus doesn't rebuke the church. So they weren't under pressure because they had done, done something wrong. Watch this. They were under pressure because they were doing all the right things. Now, this is an intersection of our faith that we can find ourselves at sometimes. What do you do when you face pressure in life, not because you messed up, you know, because you did something wrong, you made a mistake? What do you do when you're facing pressure, even when you're doing all the right things? This church was under pressure because they were believers. I want you to think about this for a minute. I think in our Western, you know, in American context, we get a little divorced from this idea sometimes. We get to, we have the incredible privilege of worshiping Jesus in freedom today. And yet, you know, we get divorced from the idea that many believers in the world still today are not free and can actually end up under pressure because they're serving Jesus. 
I guess I, I came to, at, to talk about pressure with us today. And I, I'm just wondering today how pressure has affected your relationship with God. What do you do when your kids are under pressure? Have, have you ever seen parents, ever seen your kids, you know, under pressure or facing something tough? That, that has got to be one of the toughest moments as a parent, right? When your child is up against something really, really tough. My 10-year-old picked her up at school the other day, and we were driving home, and she starts telling me about some difficulties she's having, you know, with kids at school. With some of the girls, mean, mean girls at school. And as a parent, like, nothing will make you want to kill a kid. You know, not actually, but you're know, like, nothing will make you want to strangle someone than when they mess with your kid, right? What do you do as a parent? What's your reaction as a parent when your kid is under pressure? Like, when your kid is, it, it, because they're your kid, what do you want to do? You want to. <laughs> the word I'm looking for is intervene. <laughs> I, I heard various things there. Um, you want to jump in, right? Like, because you're my daughter, because you're my son, you're up against something tough, and because you're my child, I'm going to jump in and rescue you. That is the benefit and blessing of having you, having me as your parent, is I'm going to jump in and take care of this thing for you. That's kind of our instinct as parents, right? Like, I want to solve it for her. And I remember sitting there thinking, my Lord, I can't solve this problem for you. I wanted to tell her so badly, baby, it's not always going to be this way. You know, it's, you know, I know kids can be tough sometimes, but we have that instinct, right? As parents, we want to solve it for our kids. We want to fix the problem. Why? I want to like get all the girls in a big circle and talk to them all, right? And, and, and get them all to work it out and tell them how amazing and awesome and creative and beautiful my daughter is. And that's my reaction as a dad anyways. But um, what does Jesus do? What does Jesus say? When he sees his kids, when he sees this church in Smyrna under pressure, what do you think his response is? Let's read about it in verse 10. Jesus said, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. That's interesting. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. I want you to think about this. In the face of pressure, Jesus does not say, because you're my kid, I'm going to intervene. He does not say, because you're, a kid, I, you're my kid, I'm going to remove this. What does he say? Because you're my kid, I'm going to be with you as you face this. He's saying, hang on to me. I've got you. And guess what? We win in the end. This is an interesting place we all come to. What do we do when serving Jesus brings difficulty? What do we do when life gets hard? The, this intersection is important for us to learn how to navigate. Because this moment, tragically, can lead to believers pulling strings of their faith and starting to see their faith unravel when life 
doesn't turn out the way they expected because they're a Christ follower. We start to add up, how can God be good when this is happening to me? How, how is God a healer when I'm still sick? How is God good and faithful when I'm experiencing this difficulty? Has anyone ever been there? Just be honest. Anyone? I, I have been there. A lifetime of serving Jesus. Like, I have found myself at that intersection. And I guess I found a unique place of hope here in Revelation chapter 2 where Jesus was saying, I may not relieve you of what's going on in the natural, but I will always be with you. I will always surround you. And if you'll hang on to me and you'll anchor your hope in me, I will give you life as your victor's crown. We will win at the end of the day. I told you, it's vegetables today. <laughs> I guess, City Hills, here's the question I came to ask you today. Here's my question for you. Will you be as faithful serving Jesus under pressure as you were in prosperity? <laughs> Will you be as faithful serving Jesus under pressure as you were in prosperity? Hope under pressure. These are the tracks that we'll find our faith on, that even when life is hard, God is still good. That even when difficulty comes, we can still stand up full of faith and full of confidence and say, guess what? The best is yet to come. I feel specifically right now in my heart, there could be a person sitting in the room, maybe even today, that you've been praying and you've been believing God to heal you, and yet you're still sick. Like, what do you do? What do you do when you arrive at that place? Is he a healer, or is he not? Because sometimes we do see God heal in the natural, and we see his power, and we see his healing provision physically. But I guess I just get reminded in my faith that even if physical healing never comes in this life, the great hope that we have, the victor's crown we have as believers is that death no longer has any sting. That even though we, when we die, we are ultimately healed in eternity with Christ and whether or not it comes in the natural, Jesus is still worthy of the anchor of your hope. That he is a healer, whether he he does it today or not. God never asks us in his word. He never asks us to feel strong. He only ever asks us to be strong. In other words, there are moments in our faith where you may not feel strong. You may not feel, you know, you, you may feel weak. You may feel tired, but don't you believe it when the, when the writers say in our weakness, he is shown strong. That actually some of the things that drive you to your knees are the things that bring you closer to Jesus. Come on, we're talking today about hope under pressure. Will you be as faithful serving Jesus under pressure as you were in prosperity, or do times have to be good for you to serve Jesus? Does life have to only be good for you to follow and serve Jesus? In verse 10, 
he literally says the devil will put some of you in prison. You know, I think sometimes we forget. We, we, we sanitize our scripture sometimes. You know, we, we kind of treat it like it's veggie tales or something, I think, sometimes, or a movie or whatever. But the devil will put you in prison. We need to remember we have a real enemy. He has a real name. He has one aim and one aim alone. It is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The enemy is not after your money. The enemy is not after your health. He is not after your marriage. He is not after your kids. He is not after your job. All of those things are a means to an end. The enemy of your life, he is after your faith. He wants you to denounce Christ and get out of the way. He opposes Christ with everything in him, and he will not stop until he reaches that end. The good news we have and the anchor for our hope as believers is that greater is Jesus in us than he that is in the world. And even when life is tough, we still have an anchor for our hope. That we have a real enemy and it's time we realize that. But we have a greater God in Jesus. Will you be as faithful serving Jesus under pressure as you were in prosperity? Or do times need to be good for you to serve Jesus? Vegetables for you today. But I think for someone in the room, this is the intersection you're at, that you might feel the pressure of this season even. You might feel the pressure of standing for Jesus when it feels like many are not. You might feel the pressure of serving your faith when the world has a lot of weird things to say about Christians. They love to mislabel us. They love to box us in. They love to kind of categorize us. But I really believe, every fiber of my being believes that a confused world needs a hope-filled church. A confused world needs to see the church standing full of faith and full of hope in a culture of fear. A church that stands as I believe. I believe the Bible. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe he can do what he says he's going to do. I believe that we win in the end, and I believe that as a Christ follower, I have life as my victor's crown in Jesus. That's what the world needs to hear from us right now. I simply believe, like we sing about today, that he's too good to not believe. So where do we anchor our hope? Like where... Where do we go? Your, your hope needs an anchor if you're going to be faithful to Jesus in 2022. Your hope needs an anchor. In Hebrews 6 and 19, it says this, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered at our I'll close with this story. As is mentioned, we had our daughter prematurely last April. It was Easter evening, and um, my wife had been in pain for weeks. She was on bed rest. It was not an easy pregnancy. I guess that's what we get having a baby at 40, right? Or something, I don't know. But she, um, it was changing. Um, it was, she was in a lot of pain uh, the whole evening. 
Um, about 2 a.m., I woke up to looking at my phone. She was sleeping down on the couch. I woke up and I looked at my phone to 17 missed phone calls from my wife. And that's when I knew things weren't good. And uh, she had called my mom, and my mom was coming over to watch our daughter, our oldest daughter. Uh, we went into the hospital that night, and um, we were just praying. She was now having contractions every two minutes. Um, they rushed us in to a, you know, an emergency room situation. And I just remember the chaos. I remember the, I still remember the feelings in that room. And here's what was so discouraging to me. Again, we were facing pressure, not because we had done something wrong. We were facing pressure because life had happened to us. But I remember thinking, like, we were just getting going again. After COVID shutdowns, our ministry was just starting to creep to life. I mean, I, I know we don't really know each other that well, but like my family, we live to serve Jesus. Like, we will do anything short of sin to reach more people for the gospel. Like, we will... We, you know, we're, we're all in for this thing. And I, I remember sitting in that hospital room going, God, why are you allowing this to happen right now? I need to be out there at City Hills this weekend. I need to be out there serving Jesus. Like, I need to, why are you allowing this to happen? And I remember when they, when the NICU team came in and they rolled the, the crib with kind of the incubator thing on it in. And my wife was just full of fear at the moment. And she, she yells at the doctor. She goes, am I having a baby right now? <laughs> because, you know, doctors, they kind of don't really tell you what's going on, right? And one of the doctors said, you're not leaving here pregnant. And that's when we knew, okay, we, we are now adrift. We are in the storm, and we need an anchor for our hope right now. So the doctors and nurses left after we talked to them, and we turned on this new worship song that was out at the moment, a song called Jaira, about the names of God. God is our provider, and it says this line. It says, I will be content in every circumstance. And I remember thinking, I don't want to be content right now. This is not how it's supposed to be happening. I don't want to be content right now. But we probably played that song a thousand times. I mean, over that week, anytime the doctors would come in, we just kept playing it. You know what we were doing in that moment? We were trying to anchor our hope. Like life had hit us. It was difficult in the moment, but we were looking for the place to anchor our hope. Our daughter was born a day later. She had a list of complications, like I mentioned. And I remember as a parent just having that feeling of like, I wish I could step in and take her place. They, they had to give her for perspective the first time we held her a few days later, she had so much stuff in her. They had to give her morphine to dull the pain just so we could hold her. It was, so it was, it was, it was, a, it was dramatic. It was difficult. But I remember after a few days in, I remember being oddly grateful to Jesus for the experience. Not because I liked what was going on. Not because I wanted to be there. I wanted out with every fiber of my being. But I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you what happened is walking through that very unique situation, you know what happened? Is I met Jesus all over again. Jesus in the darkest moments of that situation, you know what he did? He filled that hospital room with supernatural peace. We had peace when we shouldn't have had peace. He filled our hearts with his presence. I had to have faith not because I wanted to, but because I had to. 
you know, we call him the God of the impossible, but guess what? Impossible is where he starts. <laughs> and so the situation kind of has to be impossible for the impossible God to step in. And I just remember going, God, I'm coming to you because I believe, because I, but I'm coming to you because I have to. I'm looking for the anchor for my soul. And I am here to tell you today, I met Jesus all over again in that season. And, and we emerged from that, first of all, with a miracle in our daughter's body. But the greater miracle is that we found Jesus again as the anchor for our hope in times of pressure. And I'm here to tell you that when life is hard, God is still good. Will you be as faithful serving Jesus under pressure as you were in prosperity? I pray that you'll find this anchor for your hope today. I pray that when you see that phrase, the best is yet to come, you'll see its truth even in your darkest days. That you'll, that you'll acknowledge Jesus, even if it feels like a blind act of faith. You'll say, Jesus, I believe, and the situation doesn't have to be good for me to believe. I believe your word. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you can do what you can say you can do. I believe. And I believe it's at that point you'll see Jesus do some of the greatest miracles he's done in your life. Hope under pressure. Jesus, I pray right now for every single person in this room, I thank you for City Hills Church. I thank you, Jesus, today for a church born for such a time as this. This might sound like a funny prayer, but Jesus, I thank you that you've allowed us to lead and build a church during a pandemic. Thank you for trusting us with this moment. Thank you for trusting us, Father, with this season. Thank you that this faith community is here as an anchor when we needed it the most. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I, I pray right now, Father, for every single believer in this room who feels like their faith is under pressure, who feels like, Father, their back's against the wall. Jesus, I thank you that your word over us today is that you know. You know exactly what we're facing. And I thank you that you don't leave us hopeless, but you are with us. You are with us in the pressure. In fact, right now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just wonder if there's someone here today that, that feels like you're under pressure. Your faith, your hope is under pressure right now. You're having that experience. It could be something physical. It could be something in a relationship. But this message is speaking to you today. If I'm talking to you, would you just mind raising your hand? I want to pray for you specifically today. Prayer, prayer of faith over you. Because I believe that in your darkest day, Jesus can come alive all over again in your heart and your life. Jesus, you see our hands raised. And our hands are raised to you today as a statement of faith that Jesus, we believe. We believe you know. We believe you care. And today we cast our cares on you today, Jesus. We believe that you are a healer. We believe that you are a provider. But Jesus, I pray that even in the crushing moments, I pray that you would come alive. I pray that you would fill their hearts with your presence. I pray that you would stride into their lives today as the Prince of Peace. I pray that you would sustain them, that you would encourage them, that, that when others look at them, they would see hope 
even hope under pressure. May that be our story. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, everyone in agreement, say a big amen. Thank you for joining us today. And a special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. You know, it's because of you that we're able not only to bring this message to you, but we're able to offer hope and life to the San Antonio Hill Country and beyond. So if you'd like to give today, you can visit cityhillstx.com right now. And if this message blessed you, why don't you click subscribe or share this message with your friends uh, on your socials. I pray it's a blessing to others in your world. Thanks again for listening today. God bless you.